It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's today's special guest, Dan McConaughey. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this morning. We ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would give clear speaking and clear hearing so that your word can take root, grow and flourish, and produce fruit. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Nathan asked me yesterday, I think it was, was it yesterday? If I would do one that I did before in, in the Daily Thunder, and it's called Spiritual Awareness, How to Stay Left of Bang. And some of the advanced students have heard a little bit about it. But left of bang is a reference in a timeline. You know what a timeline is, right? It starts at this end, and, you know, maybe 1860 and 1870 and 1880 and 1890, like that. Left of bang is reference to a timeline of what we call deadly force events. It's a military term, developed by the, uh, mainly by the Marine Corps. And bang is when the shots are fired, or when the IDE, IED explodes, or when the ambush happens, or when the, the bomb goes off. It's, it's when the deadly force event happens. On a timeline moving from left to right, right of bang means after the event. Left of bang means before the event. And unfortunately, when you're right of bang, when you are right of bang, that means that you have been taken advantage of, you've been surprised, you've lost the edge, the damage has been done, all that kind of thing. There's a military vehicle called a Bradley. It's a 22-ton troop carrier, armored troop carrier. It has 8-inch thick armor underneath and there's a story where they, f- they had two of these in line with a couple other vehicles. And when the IEDs went off, they actually found that 8-inch thick steel armor plate 60 yards away. That's after a big bang. <laughs> after a big bang. So for us as Christians, what is bang? The reason that I originally gave this is because Eric was doing a series of uh, teachings on spiritual warfare. And so having been in the military, studied a lot of this, participated in a lot of things that needed this kind of activity, I thought, well, how can I take what I learned in the military and apply it? Because if it's warfare, then there may be some ways to see similarities. So the first question that we have to ask for us as Christians is, what is bang? What is a deadly force event? Now, in my observations for a few years, I've, I've, you know, I look out here and I see your age and I realize that I've probably been a Christian than all your ages put together. Okay? And I even had somebody ask me one time if I remember meeting Abraham Lincoln. And I don't remember meeting him. That doesn't mean I didn't. 
because when you get to a certain age, you start to lose your memory. Um, so as I've observed over years, um, I've seen a discrepancy in, in Christians' view of Bane. I think the, the most common view, well, actually, I have three here. There might be four. The, the fourth one is like tri- childish immaturity or stupidity. We see Bane as when we're getting corrected or when we're getting disciplined or rebuked. You know, somebody says, why did you do that? And you say, why are you getting me in trouble? And, and we see that as Bane. We have a trivial view of Bane, okay? So the three that I thought of first was when we, when we encounter suffering, when, when something drastic happens to us, we're afflicted, we're, we suffer, we're persecuted. I have a list of them. Trials, tribulations, tests, persecutions, sufferings, disappointments, adversities, difficulties, tryings, crosses to bear, pain, discomfort, sorrow. Well, the problem with those being being is that those are all promised as inevitable when we follow Jesus. Um, All these things are necessary accompaniments to following Jesus. To be responded to with joy and rejoicing, thanksgiving and gratitude, and they actually make us stronger. If you consider like James 1 where it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. We don't see those trials as bang, and yet we do want to avoid them do you find yourself wanting to avoid trials? Isn't that kind of, you know, I'd rather not do that. I think I'll do this instead. But the very things that are trials, God said if you respond to it by counting it all joy when you fall into various trials, because the testing of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. So what is God's means of making you perfect and entire, lacking nothing? We as Christians today have a tendency to think, well, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. No, it's our job to participate in that by responding the right way to the events that happen in our life. So that's not bang. We have, blessed are those who are persecuted. Did you notice that verb? Are, not maybe. Okay. Blessed are you when others revalue, not if. Um... Here's, here's one that I just saw this morning in John 16, 33. It says, I've said these things to you that you, in me you may have peace. It says, in the world you will have tribulation. So you will have tribulation, but you may have peace. What's the condition of peace? The right response. It's not the absence. That's, that's a thought for us. The word shalom means, we, we call it peace in Hebrew. But it doesn't mean the absence of conflict. Our Western view is that peace is the absence of conflict, the absence of war, the absence of battle, the absence of fighting. It doesn't mean that. In the Old Testament, you find several references to where God says, I will give you peace in the midst of conflict. I will give you peace while you are fighting. It doesn't say that I will give you peace when you stop fighting and I will take you out of the conflict so you can have peace because the word shalom actually means the presence of the way things ought to be inside. That's what shalom means. 
the presence of the way things ought to be inside. It has to do with our attitude toward God and therefore our response to our circumstances. Paul said, I'm content in any circumstance, including getting beheaded, being in prison, being persecuted, being stoned and left for dead. He was content. So that's not bang. Another aspect of bang that, that we have a tendency to look at is when events happen in our life that we cause. Okay? And I have two in particular that I want to talk about because I've seen it in all the way through the Old Testament it's present, and I see it also in the lives of many Christians today, and that is when we become the enemy of God, when we make ourselves the enemy of God, and we make him our enemy, that is a dangerous area of spiritual warfare to be in. And I can imagine that majority of you are saying, I never do that. Well, listen to this. It says, God resisteth the proud. And we think, resist, okay. So if you were pushing me and I was resisting you, which one of us would be moving? It depends on if it was Preston or not. But (laughs) which one of us would be moving? We see resisting as a standing firm, okay? The Greek word for resist here has a dangerous meaning. It means to set your army in battle array against your enemy. That's the literal meaning of the word resist. So if God resisteth the proud, he is setting his army in battle array and in military offensive order against you if you're proud. You have made yourself God's enemy. That's not a comfortable position to be in because you can't cast it out. You can't overcome it. You can't resist it. God wins. The other side is in James. Now James has a verse almost exactly the same. I mean, yeah, James says God resisteth the proud. Peter also says that God resists the proud. James adds in, just a couple verses different, he says, whoever loves the world, if you make yourself a friend of God, it says you make God your enemy. It comes right out and says it. Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Therefore, Whosoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now that word enemy means to be actively hostile, hating, evading, and bitterly opposing God. So if you're a friend of the world, God sees you as actively hating, opposing, and hostile to him. It sounds like bang, but it's not. It's a self-inflicted position that you hold by not humbling yourself and by not not loving the world. So what is bang? Bang is things like our, our enemy, the devil, 
goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When you get devoured, that's bang. Have you ever seen an animal devour its prey? Ever see that? What's left? What's left when the enemy devours you? Now, who's Peter writing to when he says that in 1 Peter 5? Who is Peter writing to when he says, your enemy, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? He's writing to Christians. Just because you're a Christian doesn't make you exempt from bang. In John 10, it says that um, the thief does nothing else other than seek to kill, destroy, and steal. That's bang. Destruction, that's bang. Killing, that's bang. So these are the things that we're dealing with. The, key, the, the destroying, the devouring, disrupting, distracting, deceiving, discouraging, and disservicing the saints. Stealing, killing. These are all words that are used of the enemy's attack on Christians. Stealing, killing, making merchandise of, blinding, spoiling, decaying, rotting, defeating, wrecking, ravaging, and wasting. That's what the enemy wants to do. When something is rotten... How easy is it to restore it? What's your normal, what is your normal, well, I don't know if you guys do this or not. So, what is your normal action when you find rotten food in the refrigerator? Throw it away. There are some places where they are less apt to do that. They think that they can cut the little pieces of green fuzz off and so forth. That's normally not what we do. We usually think this is spoiled. This is no good. Let's get rid of it. So I want to give you a short history of the concept that the Marines developed and why they developed it. It's a a short history of what we call the combat hunter-tracker profile. So the reason they developed it is because conventional warfare doesn't work anymore. I happened to be a Vietnam veteran. Vietnam was the last conventional warfare war that was fought. It's the last war where it was fought with conventional warfare. And how did it turn out? It was a fiasco. It did not work. And when it worked, do you remember what they called the First World War? The war to end all wars? And then we had the Second World War. And it was called the war to end all wars. And after Vietnam, we said, never again. Never again. And what happened? In between that, we also had Korea. And we said, never again after that. Well, it's because the character of United States military doctrine, U.S. military doctrine, has been defensive. It's always been reactive. If you go and talk to a policeman you find out that they are almost always reactive. What are, we, what are they known as? First responders. They're not out there protecting you before the fact. They're out there protecting you after the fact. Just a thought. 
When do we usually pray? Do you pray for the sick before they get sick? So they won't get sick? Or do you respond and pray after they're sick so that they'll be healed? Preciously, God heals. Ideally, I would think that we should pray proactively. Well, that's the whole concept of the combat hunter. So, in U.S. history, the war has been defensive. It's been a response to an attack. And that has trickled down into our life. When do we cast out a demon? After somebody is affected by the demon. When do you seek counsel? After bang. We live spiritually right of bang. Consistently. And so... It's an interesting thought. Let's, let's look at the, the way that our, that our warfare worked. Impressive strength as the primary deterrent. It was called intimidation. I don't know if you've heard the MAD doctrine, Mutual Assured Destruction. That's what kept nuclear arms from being deployed during the Cold War. Because if we detected a missile launch of nuclear weapons from Russia or China, before they could reach us, we could launch ours. And before they could reach them, before they could respond, the whole thing would be a mess. And mutually assured destruction meant that each nuclear power had sufficient nuclear arms to destroy the entire nation that they were at odds with. So we had sufficient nuclear power to completely destroy the entire population and infrastructure of Russia and China and North Korea and any other nuclear nation that was going to fight us. They also had enough to destroy us. So once the missiles were launched by us, they could destroy us. And that's what kept people from having war. It was, it was that kind of view. And our warfare was primarily defensive. In fact, our doctrine said that we would not fight a war not on, not on our own soil defending ourselves. We would not fight a war that was not on our own soil defending ourselves. I said, well, what about Korea? That wasn't a war, that was a police action. What about Vietnam? That was not a war, that was a police action. Well, what about the, the Gulf? Okay, who attacked us in 9-11? It was not a nation. How, do you, how does a nation carry out a war against a nation? Ah, so, so all of a sudden, things didn't work out right. Our view of the military was that, or of a war, was that our opponents identified themselves, and we identified ourselves by uniforms, by race and appearance, by location, by language, things like that. So when we went to Vietnam, our enemies wore one uniform, and we wore another uniform, and we could identify that. Do you remember how they fought their wars in the early days, even here in the States, like the war between the states? The Union had one color of uniforms, and the Confederacy had the other color of uniforms, and they would line up opposite each 
opposite each other in a field and shoot at each other. So where was the battlefield? It was confined to a known area. We will have a war in the area between the dorms. <laughs> and so that's, everybody knew that that's where the war was. Did you know that in those days the church was considered a safe area? And there was sufficient honor on both sides that they wouldn't attack a church. So if you wanted to have refuge, you'd run into a church and neither side would attack you while you're in the church. That's what happened. How, how safe is a church today? How safe is a mosque today? How safe is a synagogue today? And I name those three things because in the last three or four months, there's been active shooters in all three of them. Not very safe. Also, laws regulated by, or the war is regulated by laws, conventions, and standards, moral, ethical, cultural, societal, religious, as if the enemy today pays attention to rules and laws, even when we have what we call combat martial arts. What are they regulated by? Rules, laws, training, referees, completely different than what we have today. Police action takes place only after the incident happens. So the incident happens, your house gets broken into. Let's say that we're in the county. I'm not going to give a name to the county, but let's say that we're in the county. And it's a big county. And the finances of the county make it so that during evening hours, they only have people monitoring, the, or people patrolling. They only have four in the, in the 40,000 square miles of county. And it happens that some guy way over there calls for backup. So that guy from way over there goes over, and they need backup, so this guy from way over here goes over, and pretty soon three of them are, all four of the guys are over there taking care of that business. And something happens here. You know what the average response time is in the county? 92 minutes after the event. Here in town, the average response time is between eight and nine minutes. How long does it take? Do you know how long it took for the, the most recent, um, I think it was the synagogue shooting. I think it was 11 minutes. It was started, completed, before the police arrived. What's the problem with that? That's after Bane. That's after Bain. So what we have learned the hard way is now, and for us as Christians, it's the same thing. The date, the time, the location of the battle is unknown. We don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know where it's going to happen. You don't, the fight is on when and where the enemy attacks. So if you're not ready, what are you going to get? Beat. The number of opponents is unknown. One, two, three, 185,000. We don't know how many people. We don't know how many opponents. There, no be, there will be no referees, no rules, no laws, no regulations, and no safe places to hide. The fight may or may not include weapons, and the weapons that it may or may not include, we don't know which ones they are. We don't know if it's bow and arrow, hand grenades, sarin gas, we don't know what it's going to be. There's no rounds, no time limits. 
no bell that dings that makes it go to your corner so that, corner so that you can get a glass of water to drink and get the blood all patted off your face. None of that stuff is present. There's no information provided regarding the opponent's appearance, size, skills, background, or location. So where are we at now in our ability to defend ourselves? We've lost it entirely. Now, innocents are present. Innocent people are present, people that are not intended to be included in this, and they have to be protected. It doesn't do any good. How many of you are comfortable with being collateral damage? <laughs> Most of us aren't. Collateral damage means those guys are fighting and I die. That's not what we want. And also, what did we understand from the bang that is real? It's that our opponent, his intent is not to damage us, not to trip us up, not to disturb us. It's to kill, steal, destroy, devour. That's the, that's the object of the opponent. He's not there. You know, we hear about in um, self-defense class, you know, well, shoot him in the knee. That's not what the, our opponent is out to do for us. He's not there to put us in handcuffs and drag us off. He's there to kill us. Okay? So the combat hunter policy, the, that came up because the general, a guy named General Mattis, also known as Chaos, <laughs> that's his code name, the general of the Marines who, managed, who controlled all the Marines that were in the, the Gulf Wars, he came up with this idea of somehow we have to provide our military men with the ability to notice beforehand what's going on. What, what do we have to do? And so he developed a way, a concept of increased awareness, proactive seeking the threats, and a bias for action. Now, bias for action is something that's really foreign to us as Christians today. We love the concept of passive Christianity. We say, yeah, we just let go and let God. Or we say something like, yeah, I, all I have to do is just wait and God will do it for me. I hear people pray, God, I just don't know how to pray. Pray through me. I don't find that in Scripture anywhere. What I find in Scripture is that I'm supposed to pray. I hear people say, God, I just can't love that person. Love that person through me. I don't find that. The command says, you, love your enemy. You, love your neighbor. You, love the brethren. I don't find it where I'm supposed to be passive and let God love, it, love people through me. So passivity is not what happens that wins. Now, if you remember in Daniel, I think it's 11.32, it says, those who knew their God would take action as opposed to those who didn't and were destroyed. So the bias for action is not an unbiblical concept. So the combat hunter uh, policy was the ability to realize an attack is imminent and in the lexicon of the hum combat hunter, the purpose is to get and stay left of bang. In other words, you realize there's an attack imminent. Something's going to happen. 
I need to be in a situation or perform an act that makes it not happen. So the concept that we came up after 9-11 in the years 2005 through 2007 was a complete new doctrine of military warfare that was basically, and, and some of you may have heard this, one of their policies was to always be ready. And under normal circumstances, you will find me at least three or four times a week wearing a t-shirt that says, always be ready. That has been my policy in life for about, well, since the early 70s. And self-disciplined, you'll find out that I am a proponent of the miracle of self-discipline. I believe in self-control and awareness control. We need to communicate accurately. We can't be dull in our communication. We can't be slow of hearing. We need to have a mindset of the hunter, watchman, sheepdog, protector type thing. You remember this, this mild, young David, you know, a ruddy young man. And you remember what he did to lions and bears that attacked his flock? What did he do to them? Broke their jaws, grabbed the captured animal out of them. That's what we're talking about, having that mindset. There's a, a guy named uh, Colonel Cooper who did what we call the Cooper's color code. And white means you're oblivious. You have no idea what's going on. You're clueless. The way most Americans and most people. It's really interesting. You go to some of these, some of the, the uh, some foreign countries, okay? <laughs> you go to some foreign countries. One of them that I go, through, go to quite often is Mongolia. And you walk down the street, and here's people carrying a cell phone in each hand, and one in their hip pocket. They're oblivious. Did you know that the CIA and the FBI and the, the Secret Service has all now mandated that their people do not talk or text on the phone while they are walking? They have to be in a locked car or in their office before they can talk on a phone. Why do they do that? So that they will pay attention. They're not going to be thinking, oh, I've got to do this, you know, walking along here. and <laughs> that, That's not helpful. <laughs> Especially if that's a curb and that's a car coming this way. And I just happen right here to be left of bang. And if I go here, bang happens, and then the car is there, and here I lay right of bang. Just because I was distracted by my cell phone. So we have white, we have yellow. Yellow means that you're alert, you're paying attention. Orange means that you notice something. I have a couple phrases that I use. I have a DSR. Something don't seem right. I say, man, that don't seem right. And so I pay attention to it a little bit, and soon it becomes an SAR. Something ain't right. <laughs> and so that is what happens in orange. When I am in orange, I'm thinking, whoa, I just noticed something. 
doesn't seem right. Pay a little bit closer attention to it, and I realize, yeah, something ain't right. So now I need to have, I make a choice. What am I going to do about it? I enter red. When I'm in red, that means that I'm effectively engaging this, but it also makes me so I'm effectively oblivious to everything else. So when I enter orange, I become less aware. When I enter red, I am unaware, and then the Marines put a black on it. When your pulse rate reaches 175 or higher, you are unable to respond. You cannot make a decision. You cannot do anything. You're just in AFib. You're just out of it. So we need to have a mindset like that, to stay out of the white range, in the yellow range, ready to take action, and take action before we get into this black color, where we can't take action at all. We can't do anything. We're self-disabled. Some of you find yourself in that ever so often. Others of us have observed that happen, where people just, I don't know, I just don't know what to do. And at that time, we have a responsibility to take care of that, to help that person out. And we need a toolkit. So what's the toolkit? Well, it's the combat tracker and combat profiler training that they do. And it's the issue of being observant, aware, curious, attentive, and intentionally staying in color code yellow. And again, people, I'm talking about us as Christians. I agree that this can apply in other places. This can apply when you're walking down the street. It can apply when you're driving your car. Just last night we were coming back, Sandy and I were coming back from uh, spending some time with Isaiah, and then we celebrated. Did you know that my anniversary was day before yesterday? 44-year anniversary was day before yesterday. And Elijah asked me to teach for him so that he could go and celebrate his anniversary, which is the 29th. (laughs) What do you think of that? I think I was... (laughs) I think the other side of the story is that if I had known that, if I had paid attention and was in, in my, you know, yellow color code there and been aware that I would not have let myself ended up left right of Bain. <laughs> but anyway, we were driving home, and this semi just right in front of us. And it was one of those things where, as he was turning his wheel, his little finger was out catching the turn signal. And so he, there was no... no th- but the, I did notice something. The first thing I noticed was the front wheel turn. And I saw his front wheel turn, and I slammed on my brakes, and everything was fine. And Sandy said, boy, other drivers have to trust other drivers. People have to trust other drivers, don't they? Yeah. What do we trust other drivers to be? Alert, aware, responsive, reactive, able to deal with stuff like that? That's what we need to be. So we need to be proactive, not reactive towards threats. 
and we have to have what we call an index of suspicion. What is it that we attribute to an act of the enemy or a ploy of the enemy or a deception of the enemy that we can recognize before he actually takes action against us? And so when we take the initiative in spiritual warfare, for example, we have a lot of things going on in our legislature making things legal that are sin. And people are responding to it. You know, all of a sudden you get the letter that says, okay, they're voting on this bill, HB whatever, that will make um, such and such legal. It's already there. It's already written up. And when are they voting on it? Tonight. And so what do we do? My question is, have we been faithful, not only over the decades, but over the centuries as the church, to pray for those who are in authority? There, was, there used to be a, a president prior to President Trump, and I would ask my students if they had prayed for President Obama, and they said only that he'd get impeached, or why pray for him? Ooh. all of a sudden we find ourselves ready to be attacked because we have failed to be accurate and faithful to Scripture that says, commands us, actually commands us, pray for those in authority. Why? So that you can have a peaceful life to live for Christ, that you can be in an environment where you can faithfully and accurately reproduce the life of Christ and the soul of men, bear fruit under righteousness, and we fail to do that. So, the first thing, we're told to not be deceived. We have to look out for deception. We have to be aware of deception. Romans 16, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Are you unsuspecting? If you're unsuspecting, you're going to be deceived. How do you pay attention to yourself to not be unsuspecting? You get in the orange color, you pay attention. There you're no longer unsuspecting. You won't be deceived. It's simple. Why are you deceived? Because um, you failed to be in the right attitude. I was going to say it's because you're stupid, but that's not pleasant. That's not fun. So we have all these things, and I see that my time is getting short, so I'm going to pass up some of these. These are things that you can find in Scripture. Look up sometime in the New Testament. Just do what we call a... um, a, a, what do we call it? It's where you can choose in your search engine to use variations of the word. Like rather than writing in deceived, you put in deceive with an asterisk, or you can make the choice of any variations of the word. So it says deceive, deceiver, deceived, deceives, deceiving, all of that. It's all through scripture. And one of the interesting things is that more often than not it says do not deceive yourselves. So we also need to remember not forget. In the Old Testament the word to forget means to literally disremember and not hold something in your memory. How often do we do that? It doesn't say oh I forgot that. It doesn't mean that you just happen to slip your mind. 
the Hebrew language makes it clear that when we don't remember something, it's because we didn't hold it. We intentionally and willfully didn't hold it in our memory. Wolves will come. Men will rise up among your own selves and destroy you. Destroying, devouring, corrupting. So we need to beware. We need to take heed. We need to to watch these things. And the way we do this is we make a baseline of behavior. A baseline is the way things should be normally. I don't mean the average Christian life. I mean the normal Christian life. We find the normal Christian life in the Word of God. The normal Christian life consists of faith, love, humility, under authority, victory against sin, the fear of God, taking action, not a sluggard, growing, bearing fruit, having trials, suffering, persecutions. All of those things are the normal Christian life. Anomalies mean that something isn't there that should be, or something is there that shouldn't be. Okay, you got that? If we have a line that says this is normal, then we have positive anomalies, and that doesn't mean good. It means things that are there that shouldn't be. And we have negative anomalies, means things aren't there that should be. So when we go through our Christian life, we evaluate ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves. We're told that's a command, and it's a first-person, singular, present tense command. And that means whenever it's now, examine yourself. That's called being in the orange color code, paying attention. You always are aware, examining yourself. So you examine yourself, and you find yourself distracted. Hmm. That is something that you need to take action against. The way the combat hunter thing works is that if in a specified amount of time you have three anomalies, the enemy's attack is imminent. The attack of the enemy is imminent with three anomalies. I bet that if you guys evaluated yourself, every single one of you, every single one of us, would have three anomalies present and that the attack of the enemy is imminent. I think that a lot of times we get attacked by the enemy and he devours us or disgraces us or dis, uh, makes us ineffective, discourages us, and we don't even think about it. We think, oh, this is normal. It's normal for a Christian to be defeated. I talked to a young man one time who had a terrible addiction to pornography. From the time he was 12 years old, I was talking to him when he was 18 years old. And his pastors told him when he went and said, I want to get done, I want to get rid of this. I don't know how to get over this addiction that I have, this terrible attitude towards. Bang happened. Now, just a, a pretty interesting thought about that is if you look up there, you see balloons. 
and you see balloons all the way down. Did you know that that red light in that little box and that in that little box is a laser beam that if it gets broken, it sets the alarm off? So we have a whole bunch of things up there. We noticed that this morning. We thought, we need to take care of that. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's what set it off, but what if that's not what set it off and something else did? And then we say, oh, okay, good. And we don't take care of those. That's what we do in our Christian life. We say, oh, that anomaly, yeah, that's there. The first time I did this particular session, I talked to Brandon and I said, because the day before we, I did this session last time, Nathan was doing um, the Daily Thunder and the stream dropped out altogether. Just went blank. And so I asked Brandon, I said, uh, how has this been going? Has, has the stream always been that, that tenuous and weak? And he says, well, yeah. Uh, he says, there's always been just little glitches that we just kind of disregard. And then while Nathan was speaking, bang happened. And they got, what, 10 minutes of it? And then dropped out for the whole rest of the thing. So we have the baseline. So as a Christian, you say, you go to the Word of God and you say, okay, what does the normal Christian life look like? You've got a baseline now and you begin to be aware. What are the anomalies? I find myself getting angry ever so often. I get frustrated when I'm out driving. I go driving down the street and I find myself yelling at the people in the other cars. That's an anomaly. That's not what ought to be. Like, like using biblical terminology, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. <laughs> As a Christian marriage, you start saying, ah, my husband, my wife, I get frustrated with her. I get frustrated with them. That's an anomaly. When you start being more interested in other things than being at home, that's an anomaly. When you make excuses for staying at work late, that's an anomaly. As a Christian family, you find out that your children are crying every night when they go to bed. Well, that's, that's not necessarily normal. There might be something going on. When you find that things are missing from your kitchen, from the refrigerator, from the cookie jar, you realize there's, there's something going on. Did you know that that's an anomaly? That if your kids are stealing food out of the cookie jar, what are they learning? How do you become better at what you do? You practice. So if they're practicing sin, what are they learning to be better at? Sin. Okay, you've just taught them how to steal from a cookie jar. Right? That's an anomaly. If that's not taken care of, soon, bang will happen, and it'll be the car from down the street. Or the credit card from your purse. Or the handgun from the drawer beside your bed. There's some interesting things there. So we have those things. We need to be able to, to deal with the... the um, the baselines of all the different aspects. What does it look like normally in a church? Paul says that in normal church life, the people are in unity. 
when there's not unity, what's going on? That's an anomaly. We pay attention to it. We're in the yellow color. We see that. We need to take action. Why? Because if we don't take action, what will happen? We see a lack of love in our church. What did Jesus say was going to happen to the church at Ephesus when he saw a lack of love there? He said, I will destroy the church. I will remove its lampstand. And sure enough, 105 years later, the church in Ephesus was non-existent. Non-existent. So what I want us to do as we go through this is take up this combat mindset, this attitude that says, we need to stay left to bang. We need to be aware of how the enemy works, and we need to take action so that bang doesn't happen because bang is destructive. There's not a lot of people here who have been in combat, but bang is destructive. Did you know that we were taught when we shot to injure people? Because when you injure a soldier, it takes out the soldier and two others. because there's somebody who needs, the two others who need to care for that soldier that's out. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's the way that, that we're taught. You'll find out that a lot of times the enemy will do a small attack. This happens quite a bit in the Middle East. There'll be a small attack. It will damage, injure a few people. And then when the responders come, the police come, and the ambulances come, and the crowd comes to see what's going on, then they set off the big attack. And rather than setting off a big attack with seven people, they set off a little, little attack and kill one and injure two or three. And then pretty soon, 40 people have gathered around this, important people with expensive vehicles and expensive medical equipment. And they set off the big attack, and it kills 40 people. That's the way the enemy attacks. He's not out to trip you up. He's out to kill you. He's out to destroy you. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the blessing of understanding that this is actually what your word teaches. It says, be aware, be alert, be on the lookout, keep watch, don't fall asleep. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. God, I pray for these students that they would be alert and aware that they would take heed to what they've heard this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday morning. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellersley campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.